broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. You're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. everybody welcome it's sunday it's the main course i'm sitting here in new york it's uh snowy and icy that was Uh, a really excited intro yeah no i'm very excited about the heritage station damn we are kicking ass we have four hundred thousand listeners a month i mean including downloads actually we need more people on our website but four hundred thousand people including uh itunes and downloads and stuff like that that's amazing jack yeah seriously my family doesn't believe me and you know everyone by name that's really (laughs) awesome um well we have a uh real interesting show this sunday uh we have uh the folks from a16 restaurant are going to be on the chef and the uh, sommelier and owner and then we have uh kip ramsey who is a kind of new uh frontier in the restaurant industry he refers to himself as a farm to table coordinator so i remember in the 90s there were like foragers and everyone's like oh i want to be a forager and then uh, now there's farm to table coordinator. Everyone's nice. like, I want to be a farm to table coordinator. Anyway, so it's funny. Uh, we interviewed 28 people for this job opening at Heritage, and uh, well, every one of them was like, uh, I'm interested in the foraging aspect. You know, <laughs> the visits to farms and you know, long drawn out weeks. You know, the romantic parts, right? Yeah, exactly. I'm like. Do you know how many pounds of Boston butt weighs? They're <laughs> like, this job scares me. So anyway, uh, it's going to be a great show. But who did you hear Joe Paterno die? Yeah, really? Wow. What an interesting, long career he had at Penn State, only to be you know derailed at the last second by uh, the sex scandal You know, with uh, his defensive coordinator, Jerry Sandusky. Um, I mean, you know, it was a real sad way for things to end for him. I mean, the only piece I find for all those people that were sobbing at Penn State is, you know, for most of the his life, this guy was a god, yeah. you know, and it was only in the last eight months that things got crazy. So, I mean, in the end, you would still have to say he was a lucky guy, you know, even though his legacy is tainted for sure. Indeed. So um, anyway, uh, rest in peace, Joe Paterno. Um Week in review. Jack, take it away. I have new, new music this time. <laughs> so, Wait, by the way, Jack, did I forget? Sorry, we are sponsored today by. Um, it's the first time they've sponsored my show, but right. you know, uh, Cochon Five 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 is an event that celebrates heritage breeds, and um, you know, there's this guy, great guy that works with them, Michael Sullivan. Um, you know, he is literally one of the nicest people I've ever met and work or you know worked with, met through the phone. Uh, but uh, that is really a great series of events, and it's really bringing attention to the importance of 
of genetics when it comes to taste and quality and even humane treatment in food. So, um, you know, good luck to those guys. They have yeah. a big event here in New York, and also they have events throughout the country. It's tonight, the New, the New York event? It's actually right during the Giants game. Wow. Yeah, which is uh, bad luck for, for them if, if any of their constituents are Giants fans. Tough. But, um, you know, they do great work, and they get chefs and people to come and learn that, you know, there are differences in pig varieties so uh go on to their website cochon c-o-c-h-o-n 555.com and find out about their events throughout the country celebrating chefs heritage breeds and wineries Um, all right well sorry to interrupt jack we can review i'll spare you the music again we'll go right into. no no go to the music (laughs) paula dean has diabetes and i'm sure Everyone has kind of found that out over the past week. The real caveat in the story, though, is that she becomes the spokesperson for Novo Nordisk, uh, which is a you know pharmaceutical company, and you know now she's the diabetes spokeswoman, and she's getting a very hefty salary for that. And uh, I think I thought a funny comment we found online was from Anthony Bourdain on Twitter, who said. Uh, I'm thinking of getting into the leg breaking business so I can sell crutches later. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean. It's interesting. I mean, uh, the unfortunate part of this story is that people who eat badly, you know, most people in the world who, you know, eat unhealthy diets, um, when they get diabetes, you know, they don't get sponsorship dollars right, exactly. to help pay for it. So, um, you know, she does. And of course, you know, Paula Dean is, uh, you know, I'm sure not a bad person, but, you know, uh, it's just why support Smithfield. That makes no sense. It seems like, you know, the code of ethics of chefs should always uh, overwhelm. Smithfield should have some, you know, nameless corporate chef in some industrial cafeteria as their spokesperson. But, you know, when someone really famous supports that, you know, um, I just saw the movie Babe. I think about all those funny talking pigs and how sad that would be if, uh, you know, they were just in confinement. That movie would have been totally different <laughs> plot if that happened. But, you know, why support Smithfield? You know, why support Dunkin' Donuts? You know, why not do an ad supporting the independent coffee shops and diners throughout the country? Um, you know, and this brings up one last point I'll say. You know, I'm, with all the money being made by all these celebrity chefs, it's interesting that really other than Danny Meyer, not one of them has opened a single outlet of anything in an economically challenged neighborhood. Sure. I mean, uh, Danny Meyer does the Shake Shacks here in New York, but I mean, not one guy they'll open in Singapore before they will in New Haven. And, um, you know, this idea of a break even business that ends up having a social change in a place like New Haven or Detroit or, you know, a suburb of Phoenix or something like that. Uh, it would just be interesting if a, if a chef, decided to go ahead and invest in, you know, a kiosk or something that just produces delicious hot dogs using all local stuff or uh, sustainable. Anyway, well... Well, in the case of Paula, couldn't she just donate that salary, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, she's friends with Oprah. Poor Oprah. She's always had trouble with how to deal with food. Um, (laughs) She got sued by some guys in Texas, some beef guys, and now here she is doing long interviews with Paula Dean. And, you know, you just wish she... uh, 
she mm. could get the whole food thing a little bit more. Oprah could come here and redeem herself anytime. Then she could put her hand on my knee and be like, <laughs> how are things with Anne? <laughs> so uh, now we have got a massive, massive uh, celebrity on doing shows now with us once yeah, a month. This, this guy, Patrick Martins. No. no. <laughs> um, Jessica B. Harris, culinary historian, Dr. Jessica B. Harris, is uh, doing a monthly program with us that's our first our first post-produced content it's called my welcome table and so wow this is the first edited content uh, by basically you um in the studio and not live so that's already a historic first for the hrn yeah it's going really well and she travels so much so every month she's going to visit a different place explore the food and culture of that place she brings me recordings from her trips and then we kind of turn it into a a little documentary piece. And some of these places are in Africa, All I think uh, San Francisco, I think next Haiti, Jamaica and Puerto Rico next. Jamaica, yeah. Puerto Rico. So, um, wow, this is fascinating. So you have a clip, Jack? I do. Let's listen to a little bit. So this is from the first episode, which was New Orleans. And again, this is My Welcome Table by Jessica B. Harris. And tell people, by the way, before it starts, how they can access it on our website. Right. Well, we have a program set up so you could see Jessica's face as an icon on, on the, the home page okay. um, but also our SoundCloud which is where we put the Daily Bites if you follow us on Facebook um, we also have the program there so those are two places you can get it and by next month Jessica B will be on iTunes so look out for that anyway here is a two minute clip of my welcome table ladies and gentlemen flight number 2635 with service to New Orleans we ask that you remain seated in the compass point 29.59 degrees north, 90.15 degrees west, New Orleans, the Crescent City, the Big Easy. It is the home of the American cocktail, one of the best eaten cities in the country, if not the world. My second city, and the spot on the compass that we'll visit on this very first edition of My Welcome Table. My I must have been marked as a child. For my sixth Christmas, my Uncle Jim, whom I adored, gave me a record player that played 78s. Yeah, I'm that old. It came with two records. One was Jambalaya by Hank Williams. The other, Shrimp Boat, sung by Joe Stafford. Needless to say, I wore them out, and that was vinyl. And their words became embedded in my DNA. It took more than 20 years after that before I made my first trip to New Orleans. But when I did, it was as though that distant soundtrack had come alive. On my very first trip to the city, I managed to connect with Dillard University, an historically black college where the late singer Ray Charles established a program in African American. Could hear her read anything, right? Yeah, no, she's got a nice voice. Wow, that is real great. And uh, um, yeah, she's a real powerhouse. She's written like dozens of books on afro cuisine incredible and, um, yeah she's just nicole really- uh nicole's been working with her too nicole of hot grease nicole taylor and she said that jessica b harris's apartment is like a library for uh african-american 
recipe books and all sorts of books. It's just a huge library she lives in. Well, good for us. That one uh, one other feather in the Heritage Radio Network cap. I mean, we are really becoming more and more legitimate, you know, alternative media source. I yep. mean, that stuff's just flat out entertaining. Absolutely. Um, so didn't you nominate some stuff for James Beard Awards, Jack? Uh, yeah, we submitted a few things. Um, cooking Issues, uh, A Taste of the Past, Our Daily Bites. I believe Beer Sessions was submitted to. Hmm. So, you know, we'll see if they agree. Cool. So tell us about other news. Other news. Uh, Brooklyn Grange, good friends of the station, finally signed a new lease, and they will be in Brooklyn now. How about that? So that's the largest uh, rooftop garden maybe in farm. the world, but certainly in the, uh, yeah, farm really, yeah. certainly in the U.S. Yeah, so they're uh, moving from Long Island City to Flushing down by the Brooklyn Navy Yards. I really like Ben Flanner. He is just yeah. a great guy. Like uh, Everyone wants to see that guy succeed, and um, it's awesome that he's dedicating his talents towards a, a great cause like you know urban gardening. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, that's exciting, and we'll have more news. Actually, we'll probably be covering the uh, the first plantings they do. We'll probably go down there with a recorder. And, That's uh, always good on radio, plants growing. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we just press fast forward, and it sounds really cool. Yeah, uh, yeah exactly. You um, never use the sound effects board, Jack. You know, I listened to I think a... think it's lost potential. I listened to a main course episode from 2009, and uh, we were pretty reckless with that sound Well, that's because I was using it. <laughs> So, uh, so tell other us. news, yeah. it's, it's Restaurant Week. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, right. Right. I really am a big fan of Restaurant Week. I think more people that go out, the better. And actually, what we're finding out is like eating at places like Lupa for lunch, that costs the same amount of money as getting, uh, you know, a horrible chicken salad sandwich and potato chips and a soda yeah. and a donut. You know, you're only talking about five, seven dollars more. Absolutely. And uh, I always loved that Italy. You know, you would just go or when I lived out there and, you know, people would take two hours off for lunch. It was so cool. I'd watch The Simpsons. I would take like an hour nap. You know, I'd raid the fridge and then, uh, you know, back to work. Back to work. And then, of course, you know, I would sleep for the next hour because I had just consumed so many calories. Um, but no, I'm a big uh, fan of Restaurant Week. I think people should go out and support restaurants more often. You Do know? you feel like, um, you know, you get the same experience during Restaurant Week as you would on a normal night? Yeah, I think, you know, they still try. You know, you might not get the same quality you know i mean where they put so much time like there might not be as much pre-preparation involved in all the dishes you mm. might not have all the choices but certainly if you go to loop or del posto or you know any of danny meyer's restaurants yeah those guys are still going to try yeah to give you the best tasting meal they can um no i'm a big i'm a big fan of uh you know driving that type of commerce is anybody doing goat for restaurant week no we don't have goat. we only had 10 15 goat um, so we right. basically sold out to the Heritage Meat Shop. Until next year. Yeah. Well, uh, let's take a break, and uh, we'll come back with the uh, folks from uh, A16 and Farmstead Restaurant in
So here we are back on the main course, sponsored by Cushon 555 today. And we have calling in from San Francisco, David Taylor. David, you with us? Yes, I am. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for being on so early. Are you, People wake up early <laughs> on the West Coast, though, don't they? What's that? People wake up early on the West Coast. Not when, not when, not when they were dinner service on a Saturday night, but uh, okay. But I did it for you. <laughs> oh, thanks very much. So, um, you know, A16 is, uh, I, I always remember Carlo Petrini, the founder of Slow Food, said it was at one time his favorite Italian restaurant outside of Italy. So uh, no small feat. And uh, A16 is a very successful restaurant uh, near the water on San, in uh, San Francisco. And um, it's named after a highway in southern Italy, the A16, right? The A16 highway? A Sedici, yes. That's, that's the highway. It runs from, uh, runs from Naples to Irpinia. Through, through, uh, through Campania. So um, A16 focuses on southern Italian food. Uh, what dishes do you wish you could make, but you are not allowed to make because it's not the provenance of southern Italy? You know, when I first took over there, you know, um, I... Uh, I, I, I gave the. I felt like I felt obliged to get the owner's warning that I was not some ma- some some master of southern Italian cuisine. I had worked, I had worked with in, in Italian restaurants before, but never something that was so regionally driven. Uh, although I had worked with a chef from Sicily for a while, and I and uh, I had worked uh, at a restaurant here that was predominantly Tuscan, but never quite so so regionally driven. And uh, there's there's quite a few things there's that are, are sort of in my repertoire that. I just sort of have to put on the shelf a little bit. Uh, some of the more intricate shapes of stuffed pastas, like caramellos and tortellini and things of that nature. Is uh, that more? Require a, is that more northern Italian? That stuff, the stuff. That's a bit more northern Italian because you need to make a much richer, uh, eggier base uh, pasta dough. Uh, that's really more how they do it up there. And then, but the the one that really got me was uh, was ribolita because uh, I love ribolita. What is that? And. Ribolita is is um, there's a like many things in Italy. There's a lot of different ways to make it, but it's basically it's um, it's a soup where the predominant ingredients are cavolo nero and cannellini beans. And then uh, when I um, when I used to work at a restaurant called Poggio, which is in, in Sausalito here, and, um, we would take it and we would sort of make this dried bread pancake. We would just ladle the soup into the into this bread and. Then we would saute it, and it would be like this super moist, uh, really flavorful pancake of of beans and, and Tuscan black cabbage, and and um, it's not. And there's really no one ingredient in there that just says that they don't have in Campania. They wouldn't use in Campania. There's really no method there. But that dish itself is just not just Tuscan, but it's it's so iconically Tuscan huh. that uh, you know it's it's. It would be like opening up a you know a soul food restaurant in Atlanta and serving New England clam chowder. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it's, it's not that they don't have roux. <laughs> it's just that it's just that the it's just too it's just too iconic. So that was one of the ones that I sort of had to um, I sort of had to uh, find some other ways to use take those same ingredients that I that I love and 
and just find some other different ways to use to use them. So, from a chef's standpoint, uh, a well-trained chef, uh, we'll get into how what you learned. Did you? Um, well, we'll get into that in a second. But what is a very complicated thing? Like, what would you say is one of Southern Italy's more challenging dishes that is really the domain, the realm of of the top-tier chefs who have the opportunity, the tools, the technology, the practicability. <laughs> You know all that. Uh, I think there's a lot of um, there's a lot of. Uh, what do you find small... a great challenge? Like, what's hard that you've still never duplicated perfectly, or or is there not because it's just a simple cuisine? Uh, well, you know, I think the the challenge is is really lies in its inherent simplicity. You know, and and you can't, um, you know, you, it's. Uh, Somebody told me once that, you know, um, when I was a much younger cook and uh, that the most important ingredient is oftentimes the one you leave out. And I think that's why I've gravitated so much towards Italian cuisine because the challenge to me is to make the food as, as good as it can be with as, as few ingredients as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, when I, uh, one, of my, one of my favorite dishes on the menu right now is, is, uh, is the, the rucola pizza, which is our pizza dough with ricotta cheese, sea salt, uh, and uh, olio nuovo and arugula and one, uh, you know, and um, people look at it sometimes and they think, oh, that's it, you know. But, but when those few ingredients work together very well, mm-hmm. you know, then then to me that that's much more rewarding than making something that is maybe much more complicated. It has a lot more steps and yeah. Your and, pizza uh, is great, by the way. It's really a great, great pizza. Um, oh, thanks. And uh, so now you are an Italian restaurant in San Francisco, which, you know, doesn't really be, raise eyes, you know, that's total, or eyebrows. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. That's totally normal. But your wine is all Southern Italian. So is that does that breed loyalty or anger? I mean, being, you know, in the heart of Napa Valley, practically, and, and selling we, all Italian. We do have a few... California wines on, but not many. And because, you know, we do, um, and that's sort of evolved from our, our commitment to, to keeping the, the food as, the food production as local as possible. We, we do have a few wines, but, uh, you know, people really actually seek us out for that wine list because, you know, I moved to San Francisco in, uh, in 1998, right after, right after college. And I started working at an Italian restaurant that had an all Italian wine list and they were, it was, Carlo Bidioni's restaurant, uh, Vivandi, and Vivandi had this all Italian wine list, and they were very, they got a lot of press for it, and they, people thought it was a very daring thing, and people, uh, and, but people also, there was some reluctance to it, and he sort of broke down and got away from that, and, and, uh, put some more California wines on, and, and he was all over Italy, it wasn't just southern Italy, and these, uh, and, but what Shelly, uh, what Shelly Lindgren has really done is, She's really gone over there and established relationships. So there's so many wines that, you know, in the late 90s and 2000, you, you, you never saw them here before she brought them over. You know? and, they're, and they're great, you know, even though a lot of people would say, uh, you know, there's no good wine that comes out of Sicily. People would say that 20 years ago. Yeah. It's completely untrue. Or they would say, you know, there's good wine and there's good wine in Puglia, but it all stays there. Like and maybe twenty years ago, that was a bit more. There was a bit more truth to that statement, but it's really not true anymore. And I think uh, Shelley Lindgren has really sort of paved uh, paved the way for that. She's uh, she said she taught me. 
you've got to be a foolia to ignore Puglia. Um, but um, let me ask you this. What are diner expectations in Northern California? Uh, you know, and I asked that different, you know, like almost compared to New York, um, you know, and how far can you push them? Like, uh, you know, what is the average San Franciscan who lives there? What are they looking for? Is it the same as everywhere else? No, I don't think it's the same as everywhere else. I think we actually really do have a very unique dining culture here. And I think it's focused on, uh, like, much of San Francisco. You know, San Francisco is the place where, you know, nobody, nobody who lives in San Francisco is from San Francisco, it seems. Um, this is the place where, every, where all the nonconformists come. And, uh, you know, truth be told, I had a Mohawk in high school, and, you know, now I live in San Francisco, and I'm, probably, I'm sure I'm not the only one. <laughs> so uh, what I find is that what people, are, people in San Francisco are, uh, what the dining populace is really looking for is they really want, they really want the top quality stuff. They really want the best quality food. They want the best. They want a very knowledgeable staff. They want a really well-rounded wine list. And they want to be able to ask that server when they ask them some obscure question about the wine that they're drinking or they want to know where their food came from. They want to know if it came from some local farm or if it, you know, came off a, a truck from Arizona. They want to know uh, if, they, if they want to know if the chicken had friends. And what they want to know all was. that kind of stuff. Yeah. But having said that, as long as and they and they want the food to be to be top notch. But having said that, they want it in a much more casual atmosphere than I think they do in New York. So if you ask your server a question, uh, you know about some obscure vintage of wine, the important thing to San Francisco diners is: are they friendly and do they know the answer? And are they helping? And are they helping to enhance your dining experience? And if and if you know, and if they have uh, plugs in their ears and a full sleeve tattoo showing, we don't really care. That's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and uh, there are a few places here where people go for a different type of experience, and the servers are wearing suits and ties. And there's a few of those places here, and they do a great job. But the real crux of it, places, places like places like us, places like Nopa, and places like Delfina. Um, there's a bit more of a casual atmosphere to it, even though I think, you know, I, I don't like to talk about myself too much, but I think there's a lot of other chefs out there uh, who, you know, really do fantastic food and, and in a very, very casual atmosphere. And that doesn't mean you're walking up to the counter, and, you know, and, <laughs> and, yeah. and then you have a number sitting on your table. It just means that the, you know, it just means that your your, your waiter doesn't look like a penguin and... You know, and and, uh, and and it's just not doesn't have such a stuffy feeling. You no, know? I I do like that. Although it is fun to get treated uh, like shit by certain waiters in New York, like at Sammy's Romanian Steakhouse <laughs> or Peter Luger. But I do hear what you're saying, and I think you really uh, are. Uh, good at explaining, uh, you know, breaking down that culture, um, you know, in a few words. Um, I see everything that you're saying. I spent a lot of time out there. So um, what do you bring to San Francisco personally? Uh, This is a two-tier question. Um, It's one of the last questions we have for you, but I thought since you're answering all these questions so well, I would give you a tough one. What do you personally bring to San Francisco and what does not, what doesn't? your region have it's a region that everyone figures has everything so what is lacking in that region and what do you personally bring uh well you know the the, the biggest um you're talking are you speaking in terms of ingredients and so forth 
Well, yeah, uh, I mean, uh, what do you bring to Zen for Dead? Like, what is happening unique at A16, or how are you trying to differentiate yourself through? Is it just loyalty to the region, or do you try to break some rules, or are you just trying to stay consistent and pure in the few dishes you guys make? Um, we, we, we definitely, we definitely bend some rules. Uh, there's, you know, I mean, that doesn't mean that, you know, I, that doesn't mean that, you know, there's New York cheesecake on the menu, but, uh, but we definitely, we definitely do bend some rules and, and we bend rules, um, in ways of, uh, but even with it, when we bend the rules, there's, there's still rules. <laughs> mm-hmm. So there are just some, there are just some, uh, agricultural products that, that we get here that they don't, that, diners in Northern California love that uh, people in Italy don't. They don't get it and they, don't, they wouldn't want to use it. You know, one of the, the most, the first one that comes to mind is, is, is corn. You know, we have so much wonderful fresh corn from these great local farms um, all over Northern California. It grows really well here. It's super sweet and, and delicious and you get it for a good chunk of the summer. And I'll make corn stock and we don't do risotto, but I do a fregolala risotto, mm-hmm. uh, which is and, um, and, you know, and I did one with corn and fava beans last year and, and, uh, and people really enjoyed it. And, and, uh, you know, but in, in Italy, the, the corn is basically used for polenta and animal feed. Um, and, uh, so, so, you know, that would, that would be one. And as far as the things that we import, you know, you know, that we have to really bring to us, there are a few things, you know, um, you know, we, we, we do a mix, you know, sometimes we'll, we'll serve prosciutto di parma, uh, but, you know, I actually prefer the, the Lacertia, you know, um, and so we'll, right now we're serving the Lacertia, uh, domestic, uh, prosciutto because it's from 100% Berkshire pig and I think it's a little, I, I just prefer it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, there's a lot of cheese, there's cheeses, of course, that we, that we import, you know, there's, um, do you buy from not, the cowgirls, uh, sometimes What's that? do you buy from cowgirl creamery sometimes? Uh, from Cowgirl, we don't buy anything from Cowgirl right now. We have in the past. There's Cowgirl is really they really do a good job. Um, they have a lot of great stuff. There's a lot of other small creameries um, in Northern California. I mean, a lot. And uh, right now, we're, our our cheese list is all based on um, is all coming from a Bohemian Creamery because she does um, her cheese is more in the Italian style. Mm. And uh, and she also was was willing to work with us. Uh, she's so flexible on on delivery and minimums and things that you know um, a lot of other people weren't. And uh, so sometimes sometimes when you're dealing with specialty products, it comes down to uh, you know you're tasting two things and you, you sort of like them both equally. But one person says you know you got to buy a thousand dollars worth of this, or and you know <laughs> and the other person says well I'll just bring you whatever you need because you're on my way home. And uh, so we kind of tend to go with the the people who are going to work with us for some of those things. And so, uh, Bohem- Bohemia Creamery was willing to do that, and their product is fantastic. That's awesome. Now, uh, just out of personal interest, is most of your staff, your new staff that you bring on from schools or just from the apprentice uh, spectrum, you know, this apprentice mm-hmm. side of it's, the business? It's a mix. Um, there's, a mix uh, there's a mix of people there from various backgrounds and from various skill sets. Um, and that's what I like. I like having some people there who are, you know, I, I think in the sous chefs I and the, you know, I have three sous chefs who are all just fantastic, wonderful people. And I'd be completely lost without them. And, you know, I have one of them who's been with me for, for several years and he actually did his, 
his internship from school with me in my previous position five years ago. Mm. Uh, and I have, I have somebody else who was promoted from within, so this is her first sous chef position. And, and then I have uh, Chris Thompson, who really runs our Salumi program, and this is probably his last sous chef's position. Mm-hmm. And it's nice to have that mix, and that it's the same within the cooks. I have some people who um, have already worked in, you know, three-star, three, three-and-a-half-star restaurants for a year, for one to two, three years and or maybe one step away from a sous chef position and then i have some other people who are still going to school and working part-time and and i have some people who have maybe finished up school within the past year and, yeah uh i want so so uh, i like i like to have a mix well, um, very, like to have a very mix of people interesting in a mix. um well a16 is uh, arguably you know the best pizza in, in northern california they also bring in whole animals and break them down and use all the parts from nose to tail uh, everything on their menu is sourced with, uh, you know, consideration. So I really recommend people eat at A16. And thank you, David, for giving up some of your Sunday. And um, I hope to eat at your place again. It's always uh, delicious. All right. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, hope to see you soon. Thanks for coming on. All right. So uh, here we are back. Uh, what a great interview with David. Uh, he is very well spoken, wasn't he, Jack? Sorry, yes. Yeah, he he's was. very well spoken. So and now we have on uh, Shelly Lindgren. She does it all. Not only does she run two of uh, San Fran's most successful restaurants, A16 and SPQR, she's also their wine director, teaches wine classes, and has the mother of two kids. So welcome, Shelly. Thanks for being on. Oh. Well, thanks for having us, having me on, and David earlier too. Yeah, that's, that's David's great. very well spoken. <laughs> You're lucky to have him. Oh, so, oh um, yeah, no, definitely. Is it difficult to be a restaurateur in San Francisco? Is it any different than being a restaurateur in New York or Cleveland? I mean, is there anything different about it? Or you know, tell us about the process of opening your restaurants and what was, oh. it was like. You know, um, I feel like we, I, I'm a native here. I was born um, just just north of the Golden Gate Bridge. And so I've been working in restaurants here for just over 20 years and um, in here in the city. And we are, we're a really close community. I had, um, uh, last night there was another uh, restaurateur who I've known for 20 years who has his own couple restaurants in town and our kids go to preschool together and we're doing an auction and there's a lot of charity work and uh, local farms and we just we're, we feel really fortunate with the products we're able to get year round so I think there is a um, there's a real common um, support and love for our local farms and and also trying to get the best the best products we can use so um so that way, we're really fortunate. Um, I, I don't know about 
you know, operating restaurants in other cities, but it, I mean, New York's so exciting. There's always so much happening, and and um, there's so many people that, you know, just in the bar business, which my husband's in, we think, oh my gosh, you can drink alcohol till four in the morning here, <laughs> you know? But what about the nitty-gritty of it? Like, you know, the mm-hmm. rent, the guys that put the pipes in, mm-hmm. the guys that pick up the mm-hmm. garbage. I mean, is that all just a, a simple thing? Because here it's kind of like you don't know which one you're supposed to align with. You know, there's mm-hmm. different companies have different neighborhoods. Like, is it uh, yeah. a simple, mm-hmm. honest, easy, fair business out there? Or is there, you know guys you got to try to just figure out a way to deal with because they hold your restaurant in their hands well this is this is something we're we're in the process of growing right now we've been looking at a few places we actually um just we take a lot of uh, caution going into a lease because it's like you know you're getting basically you're marrying the guy (laughs) yeah yeah you're getting married and uh and you um if you get into a bad lease situation it could really, you, your business could be, you could be out of business in six months. You know, if you're paying too much rent, it doesn't make sense with your, with the numbers you're able to get and the price point you want, you know, for your neighborhood restaurant or the style of food you're serving and, and wines. So you really do have to go in with a lot of caution and, and not just rush in and be, and say like, okay, I'm ready to do this and I want to mm-hmm. do it now because it, it might end up to be, um, something that isn't a good decision. So, Well, I know you spent a lot of time in Italy meeting all these Italian Mm -hmm. wineries, but um, Mm -hmm. in all your travels, is there anything that you lament that you cannot find in San Francisco? Because it seems to be a region that everyone thinks has everything. Um, But is there anything that just isn't found there at all that you wish you could be? Um. Well, I wish we had truffles and, the, and we could find them in our yard. No, we can't, but no, we. Um, no one can ever imitate truffles. It's amazing. <laughs> I know. Um, you know, the hospitality you get in in Italy is is something we try to recapture at the restaurant because there is just a, a wonderful, simple sophistication of dining. It's just. That, that balance of a few different flavors, um, it's all about the product in Italy as well. And um, so we learned a few things from there. It's just that translating it is, is our, it's our interpretation of being as authentic as we can because of the fact we use our local flavor um, to do that. And and so in, in Italy, we just, I, we had 20 Italians in just the other night, and that makes, it's my biggest compliment if they can come in and feel like, wow, they just traveled, poured wine all day, um, and now they can sit and relax and feel like they're being taken care of like they would be in Italy, you know? Because they're very, uh, it's, Italians are, are very specific, but um, all about the simplest things, and, and um, you know, you can learn from, from those, those details. Sure. But, yeah. So if um, a 25-year-old kid was listening to this show and they wanted mm-hmm. uh, a secret or just insight on how to begin the long, arduous process of constructing a great wine list uh, for a restaurant, what secrets would you give them? Things to watch for, lessons learned? I would... Um, I think once you... For, for us, is knowing the 
the food that you're serving and the wines are going to complement the food because this is the, the match that's supposed to happen. And, and there, there's always more than one option of wine that will go with a dish. If somebody prefers a white wine or a lighter red or a bigger red, bigger red, but there are matches that really sing. And so, you know, it's educating your staff. It's picking the, the right things to go with the food and, um, you know, various, a lot of different price points because, you know, there, there are people go out for different reasons of the, and sometimes they want to celebrate and splurge. And a lot of times it's, you know, uh, I like a white wine. This is what I like. And there's so many grapes in Italy that uh, we just finished our FPQR book. Um, this past week we submitted it. It's coming out in the fall. And I still am thinking about, did I get, did I get them all? <laughs> yeah. Is there something I missed? Because there's, there's, um, there's just so many. And, um, and some producers are, it used to be more of a traditional modern split. And now there's a lot of gray area because, um, just this younger generation's coming in with, you know, they always want to, they always want to improve on what's, what their, what their parents did. A lot of it's handed down. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, it's a lot of fun. I mean, it always looks a little bit more glamorous from the outside when it's like, oh, just drinking wine and mm-hmm. you know, eating food and drinking wine and it's a dinner party. But, but there's a lot of care and, and thought and, um, a lot of time goes into get to the point of, being in service operation. So, so, um, I always look at the food. Yeah, that's a good, good bit of advice. Well, this has been an all a 16 episode and, uh, David (laughs) was very, very, uh, uh, great on it. So you can do a search, uh, for a 16, uh, on our website, uh, or look at our archives or look at the main course and learn all about this restaurant from the food all the way to the wine. And, um, I, like I said, Shelly earlier, um, Carlos stated, uh, once that it was his favorite Italian restaurant outside of Italy. So, uh, those are, that's high praise. And, um, I well. really recommend to everybody that they should go to San Francisco. It's you feel like you're in New York, you know. You feel like you're in Europe, and um, that's awesome because sometimes, uh, um, as you say, that's lacking a little bit in San Francisco. Is great, uh, or the Northern California is great a region as it is. So thanks for being on and listen to the show, Thank and you. we will be back in uh, one minute. All right. Thank you so much. back this is an all san francisco northern california napa valley show because i was just there for four days and man what a great place to visit for me it's by far and away the number one vacation spot like if someone has four days off a week off you have napa sonoma san francisco oakland 
Berkeley. I mean, it is just you have Highway 1. Uh, you're five hours away from L.A. You're eight hours away from the Redwood Trees, Napa Valley. Where do I even start? And, uh, you know, really a shining jewel of a restaurant, kind of family style, you know, traditional, recognizable food, but just done super well is Farmstead. So uh, we have the Farm to Table Coordinator on, Kip Ramsey. Hey, Kip. How you doing? Good, man. Thanks for being on. Thanks for having me. So uh, Farmstead's very big restaurant. They have their own garden. They have their own herd of Highland cattle. They have uh, all types of things, which we'll hear about. So, um, Kip, in the 80s and 90s, we met, we were introduced to the craft of restaurant forager. And then in this decade, we learn of the farm-to-table coordinator. What is that? Um, I guess to answer that question, uh, we first uh, let the listeners know exactly what Farmstead and Long Meadow Ranch um, encompasses. Um, as a company, we have the Long Meadow Ranch Winery and um, Long Meadow Ranch Olive Oil Company, uh, which produce uh, array of different beautiful wines to pair with our food and uh, two different olive oils, the Napa Valley Select and our Pratalungo, which is made with some of the oldest olives in California. So have uh, our cattle company that you mentioned, uh, which is uh, one of the largest folds of purebred Highland cattle in California. And we have um, Rutherford Gardens, where we produce our organic vegetables and fruits. But we have laddie tins there that produce free uh, range eggs. So my position is to coordinate um, all of those different aspects of Long Island Ranch and filter them through Farmstead Restaurant and through the farmer's market. So, uh, needless to say, it involves um, a lot of planning and a lot of coordinating different uh, managers of all those different aspects and uh, making sure we don't waste anything. Uh, other than that, my responsibilities are similar to that of a sous chef or a chef in that I need to help in the kitchen daily to, you know, you help their strategies to use products so what do you do do you schedule the slaughter of the cattle and then uh, how it'll be cut and mm -hmm. when the deliveries come for instance yeah so it's far as the harvest schedule for that too so um our, our steer or kept uh we, we keep the bulls up on the ranch here um and then when they graze in some which is uh as you know maybe not all the way because it's right on the coast and they you know it's beautiful seagrass full of nutrients and then they go from there up to uh, you know, further harvest so when we harvest in ferndale i'll go up and uh, and hang out with the butchers there and you know show them exactly how our cuts and how, what we how we want it packaged and how we want to have it processed to use the restaurant and then from there we'll we develop a forecast of what we're going to need and uh when we're going to use it in the restaurant very good, very good. So uh, what can the average American learn from uh, the craft of farm-to-table coordinator? Like, uh, is it applicable to, you know, the average American, the, the way well, the forager you know, was? Well, because we are, there's few people that kind of have all the different aspects that Longmeadow Ranch has. So it's kind of a, a position that was developed of necessity to, to kind of, you know, to coordinate all these different aspects what you know the average american what we're trying to do is uh just it's been, it's been said before 
So it's just education, the uh, taking care of yourself and families, and and trying to know where your food comes from. Because you know, because the, if you know where food comes from, where it's produced, and who produces it, it's going to taste better, and it's going to make you feel better. Mm-hmm. Um, that's basically you know the the, the aspects of the planning and. Um, coordinating different, you know, it's, it's, there's not much more that I think the average American can take from it. So, uh, you've lived in both places. Which city serves better food? Not ingredients, just where is the restaurant experience better, New York or, or Northern California? Uh, now you're putting me on the spot. Um, I think, um, and I think that this, and uh, uh, the attitude. I think since I've been out in California, it's climate's a little, and there's a larger diversity of products that we have. It's more about making really good food, and uh, whereas the restaurant scene, I think, was a little bit more competitive, which elevates the quiz, and you know, and everybody's out to, to make really, really good, elevated. So, um, I'm going to say I enjoy the West Coast right now. Good, good, good. You did not lose your job. Well, uh, this is awesome, uh, Stephen. We'd like to have you uh, come on more often and talk about the seasonality um, and then you know what's going on, and especially during tourism season. You know where people, what they should be looking for in Napa, what's fresh, uh, all of that type of uh, information. So, thank you so much for being on. What's the uh, farmstead? Is it farmstead? Uh, Napa.com is that the website? Farmstead Napa, or you can just you can just uh, Google Long Meadow Ranch. Oh, yeah, Long Meadow uh, Ranch. It's a great so restaurant. Both of them come up. It is a fun, and, uh, fun restaurant. They do special events. It's huge. Um, they got a great wine list, friendly staff. It's all open air. It's right on uh, uh, 27. Is that the highway? Uh, you know, the main Napa uh, Road? 29. So, um, anyway, well, thanks so much, uh, Kip. Uh, thanks so much to Shelly and David from A16, to Jack for engineering, and we'll be back Kushan next week. Sean555. Yes, thank you to them, and uh, I hope our pig wins, and uh, yeah. we will be back next Sunday. Go Giants! Thank you. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening.